Would you grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 16 this morning? John chapter 16. For those who maybe are new with us, uh, we as a church have been in a series that we've simply entitled The Gospel of John, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus through the lens of John the Baptist, Jesus' best friend here on earth. And Jesus has been spending time, these last moments in fact, with his disciples over these last chapters that we've been looking at. And in John chapter 16, we are right at the end of Jesus' time with his disciples before he's arrested, tried, and uh, charged with blasphemy against God. He'd be put on a cross and hung, and in a matter of hours from the passage we'll be looking at, he would be dead, placed in a grave, only to remain there for three days and on the third day rising again. But Jesus wants to share in these last moments with his disciples words that they can live by. He doesn't mince any words. He says that the world that they're going to live in when he is gone is going to be a troublesome world, a world with all kinds of trials and tribulations. In fact, at the end of John chapter 16, he says, in this world you'll have trials and tribulations. And there's no truer words that have ever been spoken. This world, especially for followers of Jesus Christ, is a troubling world. But Jesus wants his disciples to know that while there's a trouble ahead of them, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Again, at the end of this uh, chapter of six, uh, chapter 16, he says, I've overcome the world. And so what we have to ask is, how is it that we who are followers of Jesus Christ will have problems and persecution in this world that we learned about last week? How is it that we are going to deal with a world that hates us? How are we going to overcome that? How are we going to find victory? And the answer is in our text today. We need someone to bring the help that we so desperately need. And so this morning, we're going to be reintroduced for the second time in the Gospel of John to the Holy Spirit. Three weeks ago, I spoke about who the Holy Spirit was and some of the roles that he plays in our lives. But today, we're going to focus on two elements of the Holy Spirit's work that enables us to be overcomers in the world around us. Jesus is going to share some sobering words. I want you to notice uh, chapter 16 for a moment. Even though we're going to deal with only the first 15 verses, Notice a couple things that Jesus says. Number uh, Verse 2, he says that we're going to be outcasts, kicked out of our community. Uh, then he says in verse 6 that the disciples will have sorrow that will fill their heart. In verse 20, he says they're going to weep and be sorrowful. In verse 21, they're going to have anguish and feel sorrow. In verse 32, they're going to be scattered and alone. And in verse 33, they're going to experience tribulation. And so with all of that weight against the disciples and really against any follower of Jesus Christ, the answer is, how do we find victory? How do we overcome? This last week, I uh, was flipping through my phone and whether they call them uh, clips or reels or vines, I don't know what the new terminology is, uh, but on one of these short videos that someone had put together, it was a litany of people sharing their problems. And as they shared their problems, this individual who had edited this video wanted to have some fun with them. And so the person would share their problem, and then all of a sudden, Dr. Phil would show up, and he would say, you need help. And then another problem would come up. And then the uh, video would go back to Dr. Phil with, you need help. And I came to realize, even though I haven't spent much time with Dr. Phil, that that must be a tagline of his, you need 
help. And I began to sit there after laughing because of some of the humor that was a part of the video. I came to realize that John 16 is exactly that. Jesus telling us what Dr. Phil was telling everybody else is that you and I need help. We need help as followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has given us the reason why we're going to need help. And notice he starts right away in verses 1 and 2. And he says, you're not only going to need a little help, you're going to need a lot of help. And here's why. He says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Did you know that you need help as a follower of Jesus Christ to not just give up and walk away? That without the help of the Holy Spirit in your life, you would have given up on Jesus already. Something would have come up, some temptation, some struggle, some issue, and you would have kissed Jesus goodbye. But Jesus is saying here, the only way that you are not going to fall away from me, in essence, you're not going to give up and give in, is through the work of the helper who is going to come. Now this helper is going to have to help in a big, in a big way because notice in verse 2, they're going to put you out of the synagogues, which we'll talk about in a moment, and indeed the hour is coming that when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. The world will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor have they known me. In verse 4, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is by far the most sobering of words that Jesus would share with any of his disciples. Listen to what Jesus is saying. If you are going to follow me, they're coming after you. And they're going to come after you and they're going to cut you off from all of your friends and all of your family. And then they're going to come and they're going to kill you. And when that hour comes, I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to give up and give in. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send, as verse 7 says, a helper who's going to keep you from falling away. Brothers and sisters, Dr. Phil is absolutely right. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, need help. Amen? And so we need to know where our help is coming from. We need to know who this helper is and what he's going to do. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this helper this helper who's the second person, I'm sorry, the third person of the Trinity. We give a lot of credence and, and uh, accolades to the first and second persons of the Trinity, that being God the Father and God the Son. They get a lot of press, and rightly so. But for many of us, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we have, unbeknownst to our own thinking and living, have forgotten, if you will, this third person of the Trinity, and there's a reason why this third person of the Trinity doesn't speak on his own behalf. In fact, here in our text it says that he shares only what is shared with him. This third person of the Trinity is invisible. He, he seemingly plays a, a role that's much different than the other persons. But I want you to know this morning that the very essence of you standing as a Christian listen to me very carefully, is not per se a result of our uh, God the Father or God the Son, but it is the interceding and persevering work of God the Spirit, of which he should be praised, worshipped, and adored. 
And so this morning, I want you to be able to praise, worship, and adore this third person of the Trinity for two things that he does in our lives that both come under the heading of helping. So what does the Holy Spirit does? He, he does in our lives, he enables us, empowers us, equips us to do two things. Number one, to endure, to endure. The only way the disciples are going to make it in the world that Jesus has just declared and described to them is they need the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has yet yet come upon them. We are still a matter of weeks before the Holy Spirit will permanently reside within the disciples. And I want you to use as an object lesson this morning what the disciples did without the Holy Spirit. So let's just fast forward just a handful of, of moments here. The disciples are going to lose Jesus. And as they lose Jesus, as Jesus is arrested, all of the disciples, with all of their doctrine, with all of their experiences, with all of the opportunities that they had been given when Jesus was on the earth, it is in a Jerusalem second they run for the hills. Listen to me very, very carefully. The second that the Holy Spirit is not active in your life or evident within your life is the second you take off. And that's exactly what the disciples do. They go running. But now we fast forward to the first chapter of the book of Acts, 50-some days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we see a resolute people. We see an enduring group of people. We see a courageous group of people. Why? Because the Holy Spirit now is indwelt within them. He is active. He is living. And he's part and parcel to everything that the apostles say and do. And the reason why they're able to do this is the Holy Spirit gifts us the gift of endurance. What does endurance mean? Let's look at what uh, this word endurance means. First of all, uh, endurance means the ability to withstand hardships and unpleasant processes or situations without giving way, to withstand with courage despite fatigue. Here's what they've got coming their way. They're going to be ostracized out of their synagogues. What that means, no longer will they be welcomed by family and friends. They won't be able to find a job. They won't be able to worship with their friends and family anymore. They will be separated from the community around them. They need endurance to withstand that. They are going to be isolated. Some of you, because of your following of Jesus Christ, are isolated from your community of people. That's what it means to be, in essence, put out of the synagogue. But then he goes on, he says, you're going to need to endure a time that is coming, meaning mark my words, when they come and kill you. Notice the phrase that he says, a time is coming, mark it, you're going to have enemies, Because you follow me, you're going to have enemies, and those enemies are looking for opportunities to kill you. And when that time comes, you're going to need endurance to withstand hardships and unpleasant processes and situations without giving way. And so Jesus says in verse 7, it is altogether for to your advantage, for your advantage, that I leave so the Holy Spirit can come, so he can be the spirit of endurance in your life when they kick you out of the synagogues and they kill you, so that in that moment you might endure. Now the question is, how does he do that? 
What does the Holy Spirit do that enables us to endure? Number one, he allows us to stay faithful instead of falling away. Have you ever asked this question, and I'm speaking to individuals who have walked with Jesus for a long time. Have you ever asked why you haven't given up? When bad things happen, when things don't go the way you want, especially because you've taken a stand for Christ, that it's hard to live in this world, and when those moments happen, why you didn't just say, you know what, Jesus, I'm done. I'm washing my hand of you. You've brought me nothing but pain and sorrow. I asked that question when I was 14 years of age. For many at my church here, you know my story, but this is near and dear to me. Uh, At 14, my parents had for 14 years proven to me that they loved Jesus, that they lived for Jesus. They served him. They gave of their tithes and offerings to Jesus. They invested in God's people and the work of, of Christ, both in church and in their lives. It was evident that they were all in for Jesus. And then a September morning in 1990, they would receive news that their 16-year-old firstborn son was killed in a car accident. And I remember in that moment, I remember on that day, thinking through my mind, today is the day mom and dad say goodbye to Jesus. This is it. They have been so faithful. I've seen it with my own eyes. At times it's nauseated me. At times it's embarrassed me. Uh, They're sold out. And what does God give them? A dead son. This is it. My mom and dad, they're going to say enough is enough, and they're finally going to fall away. And it's not a bad betrayal. It's not like Judas who gave up on Jesus because of money. They had devoted their time and attention, their lives, to this notion that Jesus was their all in all. And this is what they get. A lifetime of grief and sorrow. A life full of what ifs. And so then we have the opportunity to, for one last time, be with my brother in the morgue. And I'm like, this is it. This is the moment. And I'm looking to my dad, and he hasn't said all that much. In one of the last settings of the Badal family with all five of us in the room, my dad said to his wife and to his two living sons, this I know to be true. And I was like, this is it. Here comes the gauntlet. He's bringing down the hammer. God, I'm done with you. And he says, boys, your mom and I believe this and still do. God gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not saying amen. Like, Where did that come from, right? What kind of thing is going on in there? And in that moment... God began to dawn into my little brain that the frontal lobe still had about 20 years before it fully come into into its place. But in that moment, I had a mature thought. And the mature thought was simply this. I don't know what my parents have, but I want it. Because I know at 14, I started to learn that the world isn't lily pads and butterflies and frogs and, and caterpillars, right? It's a whole lot more than that. It's a tough place to live. And if I think that I'm just going to live in this fairy tale land, 
I'm wrong, and something's going to come, and I'm going to need something to hold on to. And what I began to realize at that moment when I was 14 was the enabling work of the Holy Spirit so that men and women of God can endure amidst the most difficult of times. So let me stop and ask you this morning, do you know the Holy Spirit? That when trouble comes, you're not cursing and sticking up your middle finger at God and saying, God, how dare you? But what you are doing is you're saying, God, I don't understand it. God, I don't always get it. God, this is hard, but I'm going to follow you. What we see in the life of the disciples is the enduring quality that the Holy Spirit brings. Therefore, we don't fall away. And for those that wonder, you know, am I in or am I not, let me ask you, are you enduring? The Holy Spirit says, I will keep all those who have been given to me. So notice what Jesus says, I say these things to you to keep you, to protect you, to watch over you so that you do not fall away. The Holy Spirit then does a second thing. He brings peace amidst problems. Peace amidst problems. So they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that they are offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. I tell you these things that when their hour comes, you will remember that I told told them to you. Jesus puts on notice the disciples, and this is what he tells them. Listen very carefully, because we read right by these words. You're dead men. As I've told you and prophesied about a great many things, here's what I'm going to prophesy to you about right now. You're dead. Men are conspiring right now. Men are being positioned right now to kill you. And when that moment comes, I want you to have peace. Now, let's just stop for a moment. I'm going to imagine in a room this size, and because you're such wonderful and nice people, that there's nobody who wants to kill you right now. You may have people that may not like you, may have people that uh, maybe are disappointed in you, may have people disagree with you, but I'm hard-pressed to think that there are a great many people who know right now that there is someone who is actively on the lookout to kill you. What Jesus is saying of the disciples is you have assassins all around you. I love presidents and the lives of presidents, and I read presidential biographies, and as I've read different presidential biographies, two have come up. We've had presidents who have been assassinated, of course, Lincoln and McKinley and, and uh, uh, JFK. But we've also had presidents, a couple of them, who have been shot and shot at and not died. Most notably, President Reagan and, and many don't know, but Gerald Ford had a lot of people trying to shoot him, okay? Nice guy. I don't know why they all wanted him dead, okay? And one of the things that in both of those men's biographies that were written of them, they speak of after the fact, knowing that they had enemies that, wanted, that hated them so much unto wanting to take their lives, that it got to them. It started to really burden them. Because they woke up in the morning, and Reagan was especially, this was true, he woke up asking the question, is today the day I'm going to die? 
Have you ever thought about that? Now, we think that, you know, today could be the day I, I might die because of a many, great many things. But today may be the day that that guy finally does me in. The disciples lived, listen, each and every day with the knowledge that at some point in their life they were going to be killed. Now you say, well, that's kind of paranoia, right? That's a paranoid response. We learned last week 11 of the 12 would have that fate. They would be assassinated by haters of Christ. Now, as you look at the New Testament, show me one place where these disciples were bedridden because of their fear, their anxiety, things, their thoughts consuming them. And I will tell you, you won't find it. You find courage, you find steadfastness, you find a desire to continue to preach the gospel against all odds, and many of them preaching at the very moment that they die. How could they have that kind of peace? How could they have that kind of courage? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. I would go as far as to say what gave Jesus in his humanity the ability to endure all sorts of temptations, trials, and tribulations and to not be consumed and we will see in his life the reliance upon the Holy Spirit as he was here in his body. He was led by the Spirit. And so Jesus says, it is of great advantage to you that you have the Holy Spirit so that you can stay faithful and not fall away, so you can have peace amidst problems. So now that begs the question, my friends, then why are we consumed? And many of us are consumed by far less than what the disciples were facing, far less than what Jesus was facing. And we, we can't figure it out, and we can't get out of bed, and we can't uh, get on with our lives, and we don't have the strength or the courage to speak out. And you're like, well, what's the problem? The problem may in fact be, and it's for you to decide, is the Holy Spirit on fire in your life? Is he giving you the peace that passes all understanding, that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus? Jesus said just a couple chapters beforehand, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace, and the peace that he's talking about is the peace that the Holy Spirit brings so that we can face any trial or tribulation and we can do so with courage and strength. Does it not hurt then? No, of course it hurts. Of course it's painful but we're able to get through it and we're able to honor God and we're able to see that those tough things are for our good. So how does the Holy Spirit do it? Notice verse seven, he is our helper, our helper. So there's two ways that the Holy Spirit helps us. First of all, he helps as our, write this down, as our partner, our partner. A couple weeks ago we talked about this, but the word helper there for the Holy Spirit is the Greek word parakletos. Parakletos is the one who comes alongside of you. And three weeks ago when I preached the sermon, Help is on its way, I talked about how parakletos was used and how the Holy Spirit might serve in our lives in different ways of coming alongside of us as a counselor, as one who helps us maybe when we feel stranded or alone, as a comforter. But one of the ones that I shared with you then is one I want you to recall again. 
And that is that the helper serves as a partner. And I use the example of a weightlifter. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you remember I showed this picture. And this picture shows a man, if I'm doing my math right, about 300 pounds are on the bench press. And he's about to lift that. That's a dangerous amount of weight. Now, we all know the guy that's above him. That's Arnold Schwarzenegger, the famous bodybuilder and actor and, of course, governor of the state of California. And I want you to see the spiritual picture that is being played here. You're on the bench. You're lifting the weight. The weight isn't iron and steel. It is the weight of the world. It is the hatred of the world. It is the temptations of the world. It is the hardships of the world. And every day, every human being in this world is given the job, what we call living life, is to lift that bar off of its standards and to begin to press it. That's living life. What the world doesn't have is anyone behind us there to partner with us. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is there. Now, what is Arnold there to do? Now, notice a couple things about where Arnold's at. Number one, the proximity to Arnold to the guy that's living life. There's a lot of other spectators, but no one is near him. And the reason why Arnold is so close is there is a real chance that as that man is living life at a time, his arm may give out. He may grow tired, he may grow weary, and he may very, very quickly find his life in danger because that weight is on his chest. And what that partner there is to do is to make sure that if that happens, he's there to lift it off of his chest. Listen to me very carefully, friends. The Holy Spirit is there as you are living life and taking on the weight and the difficulty of living in this world and the temptations that are surrounded. And the Holy Spirit's there, and he is there to make sure that that never crushes you, that it never kills you. He is there that you can endure. And some of you right now, I wanted to find a picture and leave this picture up because I want to keep speaking to it. But I wish I could have found a good quality picture of a guy who was taking, you know, the weights up on his neck and his legs are flailing and all that. Because quite frankly, some of you are living life like that right now. The weight's on top of you and you're screaming bloody murder and, and you are hurting and you're scared and there's no one there to help you. And you're sitting going, well, God's supposed to be with you. And I'm saying, listen, why did you try to lift that weight of the world without the Holy Spirit near you? How are you cultivating that relationship with the Holy Spirit? Notice the proximity. Holy Spirit, I need you. We're going to sing in a, in a couple moments how we need the Holy Spirit in our lives because that weight at any point could kill us. And the Holy Spirit promises for us to endure. He's our partner. Number two, write this down. He's our pastor. He's our pastor. I want you to know something else about Arnold. Arnold is there, and he's there. Look, he's smiling. Now, the guy seemingly has got the weight. He's got it taken care of. What Arnold's doing is he's cheering him on. All right, you can do this. I'm here with you. I'm cheering you on. I'm helping you. Notice this helper, the text says, uh, in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So what is he saying? You've got this. How do I have it? You had it before. 
You've lifted even more weight before. You're able to handle this. And if you're not, take heart. I'm here with you. I've got it. You don't have to worry. You're not alone. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You see, that's what your pastoral staff is trying to do, and we fail at it all the time. But our job, let's just be quite honest, is to cheer you on is to tell you we're with you and to join you. Our calling is to join you as you lift the weight of the world each and every day. We're here to guide you, to counsel you, to comfort you, and that is what the Holy Spirit is there to do. Now, a little time ago, maybe maybe three or four months ago, a man came to me from the church and after a service, and he said, can I, can I talk with you? I've got this issue at work. And we've been debating, and there's been a lot of a lot of debate about Jesus and my Christianity, and there's a group of people that are kind of pushing against me, and would you have any advice? How would you uh, talk about the validity of Christ and the validity of scriptures? And I gave him some help, and he was taking down notes, and at the end of it, he says, and it was kind of funny because I think he was halfway serious, he says, can you come with, to work with me? I said, ah, that's going to kind of look weird, right? Here comes, here's my pastor. He's like, but it just would be really, really helpful if you came. You've got a lot of the answers. You've, you know, I, I can just go, he's got it. I'm like, yeah, you know what, I got my own job. Okay, I got a couple jobs, but okay. Um, but here's what we need to know, what that man needed to know, what you need to know. You don't need Pastor Tim, Pastor Keith, Pastor Steve, Pastor Phil, Pastor Nico, Pastor Cisco. You don't need any of us. We're, we're, we're middle management, Okay. What Jesus is saying is you've got a pastor. You've got someone as you lift the weight of the world on a daily basis. You have a pastor who's going to guide you. You have a pastor who's going to lead you. You have a pastor who's going to speak into you. Speak what? Truth. What truth? He's going to speak all that Jesus has said. And so how do we endure? We have a partner who makes sure we don't die. We have a pastor who says, I'm here with you in the good, the bad, and the ugly and I'm going to remind you what Jesus says. And so let me ask you this morning, what kind of relationship do you have with this Holy Spirit, this forgotten God? If you're struggling to endure, before you blame God, ask yourself, am I welcoming that Spirit into the details of my life? It helps us to endure. Number two, it helps us to engage. To engage. I want you to go back one verse in chapter 15. The last verse of chapter 15 says this. Let me go back two verses. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Verse 27, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Oh, by the way, they're going to want you dead. And they're going to want to kill you. So Jesus says, what I want you to do is to this world that wants you dead, wants to kill you, going to stand in opposition against you. I want you not to dig a hole or find a cave and never be seen again. I want you to take the gospel and go and make disciples in all of the world. Excuse me, Jesus? You say my assassin's out there, and you want me to go do the very thing that's going to empower 
and infuriate my assassins who are going to try to end my life. You're saying that to follow you is to go and put myself in harm's way. And in doing so, you're saying that the world will come to know you? How does that math work? The math that we go to a hateful and angry world with the cause of Christ is the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit do it? We're going to go to a world that seeks to scare us, that seeks to squash us, and tell them the very things about Jesus that made them hate us in the first place. And those words are going to save a great many of them. How does that equation work? The answer is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come. And notice what he's going to do, starting in verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Let's stop there. What is the Holy Spirit doing to this world that hates us so much? He's doing three things. Number one, with regards to conviction, he is showing the world their sin. That is, he's pointing out the sin of the world. Every man, woman, and child at some point in their life will do something against the decrees of God, and at some point, we will feel as human beings guilt, shame, and regret. And there's a great many people in our world that are feeling because of what they have done. They don't know why they're feeling it. They don't know where it's at, chapter and verse of the sin that they've committed. But they are experiencing the guilt, the shame, and the regret of sinful decisions. And that's the Holy Spirit bearing witness in the lives of each and every person alive today. So the Holy Spirit is on this conviction run. He's going to every human being, doing something that the, uh, God in flesh could not do because he was confined to time and space. But the Holy Spirit is able to be in the world and throughout the world, and he's convicting the world of their sin. And so you've got a great many people, your neighbors, your, your fellow uh, employees, your uh, schoolmates, the people in your community, and you see them, and they tell you, I'm struggling, I feel guilty, I've got shame, I've got regret. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is alive and well in the lives of every single person here today. Now many people, because they never do anything about it, live in that, are in bondage to that, trying to cope with that, dealing with the symptoms of that for the rest of their lives. So someone needs to go to those people and tell them why they're feeling the way they are. Enter you and I, the witnesses of verse 27. We are to partner with the Holy Spirit and to tell the guilty, the regretful, the shameful, why they feel the way they do. The reason why you feel that way, and by the way, I once felt that way as well, is because we are sinning against the God who created us. And so we work with the Holy Spirit to not just point out their sin. Listen, it is not our job to convict people of their sin. 
we, especially parents, love doing that, right? We love pointing out, well, that's a sin, and that's a sin, and that's a sin. Our job is to bear witness in the second element. Let the Holy Spirit convict them of their sin. Number two, with regards to righteousness, the Holy Spirit, through you and I, puts a spotlight. The Holy Spirit places a spotlight on our Savior. So we have righteousness enter, And righteousness, through the testimony of the gospel, puts a spotlight on the Savior. So we preach the gospel, we proclaim the gospel, and we say this, I too was guilty, I too am shamed, I too am full of regret, but I met Jesus. And Jesus saved me, and Jesus cleansed me, and Jesus freed me, and Jesus took me out of bondage and out of darkness and brought me into his wonderful light. You can be set free from your guilt, from your shame, from your regret because of the person of Jesus Christ. And that is how the Holy Spirit and the gospel message begins to form a bond that gives now someone something to believe in. No longer in bondage. And so all we're doing is looking, where has the Holy Spirit cultivated the ground around us? And some of us think that the Holy Spirit, we've forgotten the Holy Spirit, and we say, well, the Holy Spirit isn't doing anything. Let me tell you something. I live each and every day with people who feel guilty, shamed, and regretful about the things they've done. And my job, with grace and mercy and love and truth, is to allow the Holy Spirit to take my fragile and, and, and sometimes very finite approaches to my evangelism and merge them with the work of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus could be made bright in their lives. And so let me ask you this morning, you say, well, you know, nobody's being impacted by the Holy Spirit. It may be that you're not out there sharing the gospel and so you're not seeing that invisible work being done. How did you come to know Christ? You too once were lost You were full of guilt, regret, and sorrow over your sin. And someone, with great courage, took a step of faith and said, you need Jesus. And you believed. Now, here's the problem. Not all will. And so there's this issue of judgment, he says. With regards to judgment, wait a minute. What's the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit, listen, his job is to prepare the world to stand judgment. And so the Holy Spirit's job and role is a role of preparation. So he's convicting you. He's, shedding, he's putting a spotlight and shedding light on Jesus in your life and saying, hey, Jesus is the answer. You grieve the Holy Spirit. You say no to the Holy Spirit And you're going to have a problem, maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. Jesus said to his followers and to a group of people, there is one unpardonable or unforgivable sin. And he said it is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. And people try to make theological things out. Well, what is it? Is it a secret sin? Is it, you know, have I already committed it? Here it is, very plainly and clearly. To reject the Holy Spirit is to reject his conviction and to reject the one whom he spotlights. And when you, reject, when you reject the Holy Spirit's leading that you are a sinner in need of grace, 
and you reject the answer that the Holy Spirit puts right in front of you, then you will one day stand before God the Father and you will be condemned to a place called hell because you have rejected the work of God the Spirit in your life. It's unforgivable. It's unpardonable because it is part and parcel to how we engage God in the first place. So what Jesus is telling his disciples is I want you to endure and I want you to engage. And listen, the more you engage the world, the more you're going to endure hardship. Remember this truth. The Bible does not speak. We want it to speak this way, but it doesn't. The Bible does not speak about enjoying the Christian life. It talks about enduring the Christian life. And some of you say, but wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to enjoy life and all that. Here is the mathematics of the scriptures, of the gospel. Endure for Christ today, and you will enjoy tomorrow. Some of you should be writing this down, by the way, just maybe a thought. Endure Christ to, for Christ today, you will enjoy tomorrow. Enjoy the world today, and you will endure God's punishment tomorrow. That's what we see in the world. The world, instead of enduring for Christ, is enjoying themselves. Instead of enduring with the help of the Holy Spirit, have deemed it their own responsibility to enjoy life and to make sure they enjoy life. And as a result of that, they will one day stand before the Lord and they will have no response. They will have no way to acquit themselves. But thanks be to God, by the grace of our God and Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he has gifted every follower of Christ with the Holy Spirit that when you and I stand in judgment, the judgment will be taken care of. And the Holy Spirit who will intercede on our behalf in a language we don't even utter will say, your wrath, Father, your judgment, Father, was taken care of when you put Jesus on the cross. And because Jesus has taken care of Tim's sin, Tim now is able to enjoy your goodness and your peace and your love, not for a couple days, not for 80 years, but for all of eternity, which begs the question once again, do you know the Holy Spirit? Are you inviting the Holy Spirit into your life? Are you in a relationship with the Holy Spirit that was made available through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? And more importantly, are you interacting with the Holy Spirit? Is he leading and guiding you, bringing to remembrance all that Jesus has taught you so that you might be able to endure the hardships that come your way and engage the world as Christ has called us to, to be ambassadors for him? The only way we're able to do this is if we commune with the Holy Spirit, if we commune with our God who has given us a helper. And my prayer is that you will tap into that like never before because when we do, lives are changed. First and foremost, our own and the lives of a great many people around us. Amen.